Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. This is the word of God. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Our God, we're thankful for your word. Lord, I think of just the song we sang and said, Lord, when I'm doing well, and I realize there are some Gathered here, some that will listen to this that resonate with that. And then there's so many of us that would say, I'm doing less than well. And Father, we realize your word is sufficient to meet us all in whatever our need or even sense of not so much need might be in this moment. And we pray that your word this morning would be honored, it would be held up, and it would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. If you looked in your bulletin, you can see that the title of my message is, Do You Have a Problem with Jesus? It's a rhetorical question, because I know you have had a problem with Jesus, every one of you. I can be that bold because, first of all, I know that there's not a one of us who in some way, and perhaps on a somewhat frequent basis, finds ourselves troubled at the very least frustrated or just a little put off by how Jesus is unfolding what he's doing in this world. I can also make such a bold statement that every one of us in our own way has had a problem with Jesus and how he does things because the preacher is the closest to the door in our little church and I can escape if you come after me. (laughs) So I want to ask the question of you, I want you to answer, ask the question, how do I handle when Jesus' way of doing things or not doing things troubles me? And we find someone today that dealt with that some years ago, John the Baptist. And so I think as we look at Matthew 11 and look at his, his story and what he went through, there is much that we can gain by asking the question, Lord, how do I handle 
when your way of doing things or not doing things frustrates and troubles me. Let's go back to the story of John the Baptist. Put a slide up here that just has a, a few little captions of the things that we might want to remind ourselves of. John the Baptist is a rather interesting character in that uh, he's talked about in the Old Testament. His birth is talked about in a way that outside of Jesus, I don't think we can make a case to anybody else's birth. Maybe Moses is talked about quite so much. Uh, and then he's one that, that is talked about a lot at the beginning of the Gospels, and then he's really not heard about at all. In fact, outside of this question that he sends to Jesus in our passage, this preacher in the wilderness is done his talking just about the time that Jesus' ministry begins, very early in the Gospels. So first of all, John is, is one whose birth was predicted 400 years before, 800 years before, and John knows it. It's clear when John walks the face of this earth and begins to talk, he knows that he was prophesied about. And that's rather unusual just itself. A prophet prophesied about several hundred years ago. Name some other prophets that were prophesied about hundreds of years before they came on the scene. Challenge you to do it, but John was. He was one that in Malachi, 400 years before, look at Malachi 4, 5, and it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In our passage today that Linda just read in verse 14, Jesus says, John the Baptist, he is Elijah. So we know from Jesus' own lips that John the Baptist is the one prophesied about in Malachi chapter 4. It's not Elijah reincarnated, but it's Elijah, someone coming in the spirit of Elijah, who loved hanging out in the wilderness, who loved being on fire for people, who loved starting fires from heaven. John the Baptist came in that kind of way. And what about Isaiah 800 years before, when in Isaiah 40 verse 3 it says, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. When John was asked in John 1, uh, who are you? Who are you, John? Here was his answer. I am the voice of one crying in the, out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. He was not just prophesied by Isaiah, but he knew. He was the fulfillment. His ministry, his life was the very fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. His birth was miraculous. Elizabeth, we're told, was barren and advanced in years in Luke chapter 1. You get more sensitive as you get older of using that term, advanced in years, because you realize more and more people are looking at you and say, you qualify. <laughs> I just heard, in fact, of all things, it was at Awana, someone was talking medical shop with me, and, and they used the term geriatric mother. And I had to confess to him, I hadn't heard that, because we hear about moms being of advanced maternal age. But geriatric means you're into your mid-30s as a mother. So welcome all of you mothers who had, had a child in your mid-30s or later. You're in the geriatric club. Heaven forbid you talk with a third grader and realize you're 27 and they already think you're old. But she was, we don't know the exact age of, of 
Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. But we're told by Luke, a doctor, she was advanced in age. And not just advanced in age, but she had never had a child from the beginning of her marriage to Zechariah till now. So her, she knew it, and, and Zechariah knew it. He even told the angel that. How, how, how can we have a son? I'm old. She's old. They had a son. And you remember how Zechariah went mute for some months? Who knows? It might have been the full nine months. might have been longer, depending on when that angel visited him. But visited him, and when Zechariah didn't believe that John the Baptist would be born to his wife, he went mute, couldn't speak for months. And when he wrote down, when they, when they scurried about saying, Elizabeth, what's it going to be his name? Talk to his father. And he writes down, oh, I'd love to have been there. Wouldn't it have been great to be there? He writes down, his name is John, and shows them, and he starts talking. Talk about the word getting around town. There's something special about this boy. His birth was miraculous. He's not just prophesied four and 800 years before. Now, his birth is miraculous. Well, in addition to that, he's a fiery prophet in the wilderness. City folks even went out from Jerusalem and all of Judea, we're told in Matthew 3, to check it out. Would take maybe a day or two's journey. Go from Jerusalem to what probably was the area where John the Baptist was in the wilderness. It says he was, he was baptizing people in the Jordan. Well, the Jordan Sea, the Jordan River, ends in the Dead Sea in the south. So it's probably the part of the wilderness that's around Jericho or in that region. You know, so 30 miles away, maybe 35 miles away on foot. That's a little ways away to go listen to a preacher. I know none, of you, none of you would walk that far to listen to me. But they, these city folks, went into the wilderness to listen to John, this fiery prophet, this rugged, fearless prophet. He was tough in how he lived in the wilderness. He was tough in what he said. His theme was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He probably had even the, fist, the finger pointing when he was there doing that. And he was, he was a, a bit fiery even with the religious leaders, wasn't he, Tom? When, when they came, Pharisees, remember the Pharisees and Sadducees come? And, and John sees them come on up to, to listen in when he's preaching. He says, you brood of vipers. Who told you to flee from the coming wrath? Can you imagine if you and a couple of friends, maybe you and your family came in a little late and I was preaching, and I said, oh, I'd like to welcome the snake family today. <laughs> I mean, he was fiery. And he was the forerunner of the Messiah, the Christ. And John knew that he was the forerunner of the Christ. When John the Baptist, we read in John chapter 1, saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If that didn't indicate that he had a grasp on who Jesus was, who he was, just keep, listen to the rest of what he said. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because... He was before me. John, I thought you were six months older than John the Baptist. Well, just like Jesus said about he and Moses, 
before Moses was I am. I existed before someone older than me was born. And he's, John the Baptist is saying that. His insights into the eternal nature, the divine nature of John is clear. But it seems like this fiery, impressive, prophesied about prophet, he, he's, he's on the scene, he's, he's, things are going well, he's gathering attention, he's pointing to Jesus, and then he's arrested. And everything changes for him in terms of his ministry abilities when he is arrested. He's sent, and I'll show you a picture of it, to, to what uh, is most people think was a hilltop fortress named Macarius. Truthfully, before I started studying this, I always just pictured John maybe being in prison near the, the Sea of Galilee. Possibly if he got on his tiptoes, he was just out looking at the fishing boats and things. It probably wasn't that bad. No, he wasn't there. Josephus in the first century, if we can take that as a historical record, he testifies to the fact that John was imprisoned in this hilltop, for, hilltop fortress of Macarius. Where is that? It's on the other side of the Dead Sea. You get around the Dead Sea, there's a reason things are dead. It's not just the salt in the water 13 times what's in the ocean, but it is how desolate it is. And so this is on the other side in modern-day Jordan. If you were to go from Jerusalem, it might be about 40 miles or 45 miles from there. And so even today, this, this Macarius looks like that. There is nothing else around it, although I see there it almost looks like there's a hint of like water in the foreground. There, there is not. It just looks deserted for, for all around that, even to today. So he is there in Macarius, and, and he's 90 to 100 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Probably 100 miles if you went straight north and crossed the Jordan River and headed over to the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is ministering. And so that's important to realize that, that he's, now, he's, he's been there probably at least 12 months, maybe up to a year and a half when Jesus is talking in Matthew 11. And for any of his disciples to visit him and then come all the way up and talk with Jesus is about a 100-mile journey. By foot, no doubt. It's probably at least a week through some challenging terrain. It's quite a bit. He's not around the corner from, from Jesus. It was an effort for his disciples to go there. So John hears about, in verse 2, hears in prison about the deeds of the Christ. He's in prison, and he's hearing about, and I think it's interesting, and it says the word deed, some translation says the word works. He's hearing about all that Jesus is doing through John's disciples. We had heard earlier in the Gospels about how John had followers, people who, who, who followed him were his disciples, and sends a very specific question. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to look for another? What is John the Baptist questioning? I mean, it clearly is a question. What, what is he asking? What's the extent of his doubt? Those are two key questions. Because we know, I've already indicated with just a little refresher course on John the Baptist's life, we know he had full confidence in the divine nature of his cousin Jesus. 
we knew he had full confidence that he was a forerunner of the Lord. We see that in how he's, he, he talked about, look, the Lamb of God, the one who has always been, he essentially said in that, in that invitation to Jesus as he approached. You have to wonder what has triggered this, this confidence to, to go awry. Aren't the reports that he has been hearing? We know he's been hearing reports of all that Jesus has done. Now, he has to hear reports because he's not seen these things. It is possible that John the Baptist is imprisoned as soon as six weeks after he baptizes Jesus. Why would I say that? Because if you look in, in, the, in just the, his accounts in the gospel, he baptizes Jesus. Jesus heads into the wilderness for his 40 days of temptation. And at least in the order of the gospels, it says when he emerges from the wilderness, he hears of the imprisonment of John the Baptist. It could have been as short as 40 some day, six weeks. If it was much more than that, it probably wasn't too much more than that. So, so John has not been able to be privy to watching and seeing all the works of the Christ. He has not been able to be in the audience and hear the Sermon on the Mount or to hear Jesus say to, to a man who's lame, take up your mat and walk, having already told him your sins are forgiven. So John is hearing these reports, and the scriptures need to make that clear to us, and they do. Wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be enough to hear reports of of the lame jumping up, taking up their mats? Blind people getting their sight? People with leprosy being cleansed and entering back into society? Even the dead being raised? Wouldn't that be enough to hold on to full confidence in Jesus? No. It wasn't for John. And sometimes it's not for you either. Because you have something in common with John the Baptist. So do I. We both have this in common with John the Baptist. That there are times in life when the crush of discouragement, when exhaustion, when ongoing defeats raise questions for us that we wouldn't ask in better days. We just sang Keith Green's song. Lord, when I'm doing well, don't let me forget. He could have just as easily said, Lord, when I'm not doing well, Help me when I'm questioning you and why you're doing this, what you're about in this. Craig Blomberg was my New Testament professor at Denver Seminary some some years back. In his commentaries, he asked the simple question that all of us could ask. How could John ask this question? How could John ask the question of, are you the one? He simply says, Certainly the main answer is John's languishing in prison. Someone else, commentator, said, 
John the Baptist, this wilderness mountain man, so to speak, without too many mountains around, this wilderness man, didn't do well as a caged bird. Imagine just, just, just how he dealt with that after a year or more. But it goes deeper than that. John had to be questioning, what is going on, Jesus? What is going on? Yeah, there's times in life when the crush of life is such that we ask questions that in better days we don't ask. And John was doing that. There's also times when you and I have been troubled, like John the Baptist, with what Christ wasn't doing. I almost wonder if the things that trouble us most about what Jesus does, what God does in this world, is not the things he does, but the things he doesn't do. The intervention we think he should be doing, and he doesn't. The, the blessings we think are deserved to that Christian parent, to that faithful spouse, to that person who's worked so hard, to that person who pushed so hard through the chemo, when he doesn't seem to intervene the way we think he should. John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Jesus was, what Jesus was doing, I don't think, was the issue. For John and for many in, of John's disciples, I'm sure, it was what Jesus wasn't doing. This represents what many scholars aware of just the, the Jews in the New Testament must have been thinking. That, that Jesus' messiahship, I'll read it, little resembled the political and military program of liberation they expected of their messiah. Jesus' messiahship little resembled that. In prison, John must have wondered about Isaiah 61. That section where it says, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives as he languished in prison. The same verse goes on to say, and just imagine John looking around the, the, the walls in his prison cell, looking around and thinking of the last part of that verse about this anointed one that was supposed to open the prison to those who are bound. He's still there in prison. The forerunner, the predicted one, still in prison, and Jesus isn't making a move to do anything to overturn the world as the Jews were experiencing it. He hadn't gotten John out of prison, and he certainly wasn't handling things the way the Jews and John the Baptist expected he should be handling things. It's fine to do all the miracles. We love the healing. Hey, Sermon on the Mount, thumbs up. But you need to get on with the other things I expect you should be doing. Why aren't you? Jesus begins to give some answers in verses 4 and 5, and I'll move more quickly at this point. I'll read verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. It's easy to read that and think, I got a feeling Jesus just must have been thinking, hey, John, 
Look at what I'm doing. Isn't that enough? No, Jesus was doing something likely very specific as he sent, when, sent this message back to John. He's showing he hasn't gone off script. He hasn't gone off the script that he and the Spirit and the Father, the Godhead, decided in eternity past. He's referring back to these prophecies about what his life, the Messiah, is to be about. Prophecies that the forerunner no doubt knew well. Prophecies like Isaiah 29. In that day the deaf shall hear, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. He's not going off strip. This is happening. Isaiah 35. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. That was happening. He hadn't gone off script of what the promised Messiah was to do. And then you've heard Isaiah 61 already, but it began, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You see, Jesus is saying, I've not gone off script. I'm doing just what the Father planned from eternity past, when I would come onto the scene as the God-man, the Savior. But you've added expectations to that, and now you're disappointed. You thought you knew just how I was to act, and there's times you're just not correct, and you need to surrender that. John and most of the Jews, they expected a political, even a military messiah. Jesus didn't come with that agenda. His freeing of prisoners was happening, but just not the way they thought. His freeing of prisoners was, was blind people seeing. His freeing of prisoners was people who couldn't walk, now walking. His freeing of prisoners, prisoners was those who had been demon-possessed, now free of demons. His freeing of prisoners was those who had once walked in the valley of the shadow of death, now freed of their sins through trust in the God-man, the Savior, and now free of the prison of eternal punishment. You know what's next in the rest of this passage is three reactions to how Jesus chooses to work. I want to suggest the first one then. I'll put it up as a slide here that of these three reactions of how Jesus chooses to work, the first is the believer who remains faithful through doubt and distress. Jesus says, and if there was one verse of all of this, I would beg you to hold on to is this. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Many translations does not stumble because of me. It's a new beatitude. That blessed is the same one you became familiar with a few chapters back when the Sermon on the Mount began. You thought Jesus was done with the Beatitudes. Add this one. It's a great one to hold on to. Blessed. 
happy, joyful, in the deepest way, is someone who does not stumble because of me. It's a blessing that follows remaining faithful to Jesus despite doubt and distress. It's an interesting word. I won't impress you with any more Greek words than this, but scandalizo the word here. In, in the common dictionaries that we would reference, either says uh, to, to be one who causes to stumble or, or causes someone to be offended to the point of falling. Let me unpack that a little bit. Because some of the translations, the New Living Translation, for instance, says, says something like this, that, that blessed is the one who, because of me, does not fall away. It refers to an actual falling. The key idea is, is that having doubt or fragile faith or a disappointment or a disillusionment, if, if that leads to falling, Jesus says, no, no, don't allow that to lead to a falling even though I know that happens. It happened to the best of men, to John the Baptist. I want to show you a picture of one that I think exemplifies what we're about. Looks like a little bit of a hazard. You're hoping if you're the boss at the workplace, he doesn't sue. <laughs> but I think it's a valuable picture. I could find a ton of pictures. In fact, I... I Got a little distracted, so if I'm a little less prepared than I should be, you just start looking at some memes of people tripping, and there's some, there's some good ones out there. But that aside, this is one that the reason I appreciate this is the jury's out. We don't know what's going to happen right here, do we? We, we know the, the near stumbling has for sure happened. He, the, the foot is caught on the cord. Just in the same way we might see in ourselves or in someone else the, the, the tripping, the, the discouragement from something not working out we thought God was going to work out differently. The news we get about a dear friend who's been met with some bad news and we're, we're questioning why God has not intervened already. There's a place of, of near stumbling, of, of when the trip begins. And, and Jesus is saying, in your, so to speak, in your tripping, don't fall because of me. In your tripping over what I am doing and what I'm about, don't fall. There's blessing if you don't. John the Baptist tripping in one sense. His, his, his near stumble should be a comfort to us. Not to follow in his footsteps and start asking questions of Jesus carelessly, disrespectfully. But if what John says, the greatest of men until this point other than me can do this, there's a comfort that it is an experience likely of all of us. John was known, after all, for his fire and his fortitude. Remember they said... Jesus himself would go on to say, who'd you go out to see? Did you go out to see a reed just kind of moving about in the wind, some unstable figure? No. Did you go out to see someone dressed in soft clothing? Oh, this is actually pretty soft. Uh, but you, no, not, not some city white-collar boy like me. 
you went out and you saw a rugged, resilient guy, didn't you? When I was typing in John the Baptist, I laughed out loud a couple days ago on Sandy said, what are you laughing about? I said, autocorrect, just turn John the Baptist when I misspell it into John the Botanist. They didn't go out to see John the Botanist. They went out to see a rugged, fiery prophet. And Jesus reminds them of that. Reminds them, I think in part, to say this is not someone who, who, who's just wimpy. We, he, this is common to man. The doubting. Jesus also points out, as we look at verses 16 to 19, as he just tells a quick little story, he points out that there's some people, and I'll just put in this next slide, as I just list these three reactions to Jesus. I've already talked about the first one. There are some that are just never pleased. And I think many of them never make it into the kingdom. Because Jesus says, look at John the Baptist and your reaction to him. Look at your reaction to me. And he gives this example of what must have been known to them when their playground was the streets for the kids in those days. And, and he pictures this scene in which some of the kids are sitting on the curb or sitting on a bench on the side of the street with their little, maybe a little piped instrument, something to make a little noise. Maybe one of them has just a little drum that he can beat. And they said, we, we played a, a, a wedding song for you and, and the rest of you didn't dance. So, so we tried playing a funeral mar march for you, a dirge. And you didn't dance either. Jesus says, you're like the people that can never be pleased. You're like the friend, and I know you have some of them, where you don't want to recommend a movie to them. Because you know the next time when they say, oh, I went and saw that movie you recommended... You kind of feel like if they went out to the theater, you need to pony up the 12 bucks they spent because it was so bad. The kind of friend that you never want to recommend the restaurant when you're meeting them. You got one of those? Because they're going to say, man, this ambiance, this, uh, this food is just not good. The service, so subpar. You just give up on pleasing them. There's people in the spiritual realm like that as well. So nitpicky, so quick to point out hypocrisy, so, so quick to not find anything to admire in anyone. And Jesus said, there are some that are just never pleased. The, the people that are self-centered and say, I'll do what I want, they become people who in the spiritual realm say, I'll believe what I want. Don't tell me otherwise. It's a real warning Jesus is giving. Finally, he said, there are some who are informed but never repenting. That's really verses 20 to 24. Listen to verse 24, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. You know, he saved his sternest warnings for those most familiar with his message and his works. And here's an example of that. His sternest warnings were those who had familiarity, who knew well the message, who knew well the works that, that reinforced just who he was and the power he brought, the divinity that he was demonstrating. 
They were familiar, but they were never repenting. And as that goes on, he promises a very harsh eternal punishment. Someone listening to me might be in that category right now. Might be, be threatened with eternal punishment because they have allowed what is so familiar to just wash off their ears, to just not penetrate at all. They're, they're, they're aware of the stories of Jesus. They're, they're aware of the gospel. They, they've heard the this, this story over and over again of the good news of Jesus, that none of us in our sin will be in heaven apart from what Jesus has done on the cross and are embracing that. They're ones who have never, as he says, repented. Have never said, I have been walking this way towards my own agenda. Walking in my sin and I'm going to do a full about. I'm going to leave all those things and in a trust in Jesus, make him my Lord. Jesus' sternest warnings are for those who are most familiar but never repenting. So I ask you again. Do you have a problem with Jesus? Some of the great saints in heaven, I'm confident, will find it. But they finished their near stumble taking a stand. They didn't linger in the never-pleased crowd. They embraced Jesus. They certainly were not in the never-repenting crowd, Saints in heaven who were put off, frustrated, even deeply troubled by Jesus, did not wait for God to change to their liking, to their agenda. But they allowed the Spirit to change their course in line with how He chooses in His sovereign will to do things this side of heaven. They finished their near stumble taking a stand. This morning, I wondered how John responded. Truthfully, as I prepared things, I hadn't given much thought to that. It's not in the text, truthfully. But I know the message went back. <laughs> we even see in, in verse 7 that his disciples left. I seriously hope they didn't go and take a Viking cruise on the Mediterranean and not get back to Macarius to talk with John. I hope with words directly from the Savior. They made a beeline for just east of the Dead Sea, walking quicker than usual, maybe getting there in six days rather than seven. And I wondered how John would respond in this hilltop fortress where he was in prison, likely in a cell lower down. I don't even know if there's even a potential for them to, to see him. Most likely not. But as they went back, they would have told him directly what, what, what the, the, the Savior said. That, that Jesus says to you, John, the lame walk. Uh, other Old Testament prophecies are happening. The blind see. The good news is preached to the poor. John maybe continued to walk around the cell as he heard that and, and began to have some understanding of just what that would have meant, that Jesus was saying to him, I am working my plan. 
But it's when they said one more thing that I would have loved to have been in the cell with John. When they said, and John, Jesus said you're blessed if you don't stumble because of him. What words of comfort in a time of doubt. You're blessed in your time of doubt if you don't stumble to the point of falling. What a time for John to love and accept his Jesus more than ever before. And may we do the same. May, we f may in our stumbling take a stand. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for this forerunner of our Savior. Really an interesting life, a life that met an early demise. But Lord, I, I, I thank you that we get to hear his story of a time of doubting. May it encourage, may it challenge, may it instruct us. I pray especially for someone that's listening to these words even right now or will listen to them later. I pray for the one that is in a time of significant doubting, that they would see in, in the words to John the Baptist, words to all of us, that we are blessed. We are blessed when our doubt does not lead to falling because of Jesus. And Lord, for those who are in the never repenting but familiar with the gospel category, Lord, we pray that salvation would come this day to them. In all these things, we give you thanks and we pray that you would dismiss us with your blessing in Jesus' name.